Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! The French drink over 11 million glasses of wine each year. Hello and welcome to Little Marty, the only podcast on the internet dedicated to covering the works of Adam Sandler and Martin Scorsese. My name is Eric Baguette. And my name is Jeremy Mustache. J- Jeremy Mustache. Although that like would have it. been a uh, better name for our last Patreon episode on Mordecai. Yeah, man. I, I was hoping we weren't going to talk about it, but we, we did cover Mordecai. <laughs> yeah, you thought on, I might not just Patreon bring it up there. ever again? Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, you know, you just... You ever have one of those things where, like, you and your buddy, like, experience something and you're like, you know what? We don't have to. We can just both. This could just be a secret. We just don't have to tell anyone about it. For me, that is uh, that is our episode of uh, uh, Johnny Depp's Mordecai. Yeah, yeah. It truly was like an event where you're just like, once I get through this, I'm gonna feel so much better. You know? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're probably confused, uh, possibly, if you're, you know, not a very frequent listener of this podcast, or if you're, if you're new to it, you're probably like, the French Dispatch uh, has nothing to do with Adam Sandler or Martin Scorsese. Uh, well, we, before uh, Little Marty, we were a podcast called Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator that covered uh, the, the Anderson directors. So uh, we, it's it's our duty, Jeremy. It is our duty to go back and cover the subject, uh, you know, the cover the work, new works of the directors that we've covered in the past. And also, Jeremy, bad news uh, on this front for the future. It sounds like there is a sixth Final Destination in the works. Oh, is so there really? We're, we're gonna have to halt uh, production again uh, at some point in the future. That'll be a fun and, one to uh, cover, man. Yeah, and I think I think we made one exception to the to the rule though here, right, Eric? Is that we don't have to cover another Paul W. S. Anderson movie, right? <laughs> That's correct. That that is that is absolutely correct. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, if we had watched Mordecai in the like while we were covering Paul W. S. Anderson, I might not have like been just so disgusted by the film. Mm. I feel like the bar has been set so high with, uh, you know, the Sandman and and Martin Scorsese. Yeah, we really we really uh, came upon a treasure trove of great stuff. Although I will say, not every Scorsese is a, a banger, and um, definitely we're about to hit a what I would call a, a, a sophomore slump or like a junior year slump with Sandler here in a second, where it's gonna it's gonna get pretty painful, Eric. I just hope you're bracing yourself for a, a decade plus of Sandler movies not really not really cut uh, up to snuff. I feel like I'm going to come out of this uh whole thing and 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 at the end of it I'm going to be like 
Yeah, I guess I was right in, in <laughs> skipping out on a lot of these. But I don't yeah. know. I, 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 To be honest, I'm optimistic, and I actually think uh, history has proven so far with the Sandman that uh, I, I think I'll like more of these later films than I uh, than think you I dislike. Will. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, there's definitely some ones I'm more excited about uh, visiting than others. For example, Click, a movie that I... <laughs> Don't think I've ever seen, but I would love to. And uh, you know, I don't know what's it, what's it called, uh, Daddy's Boy or Father of the Groom or something or what's the Chuck one? Chuck and he, Larry? No, no, no. What's the what's the one where he does it with us? Uh, oh, that's Sandberg. my boy. That's my boy. Yeah, that one. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm kind of like I don't know. I've heard it's terrible, but I kind of want to. I kind of want to see it. It's it's pretty bad, I gotta say. I, I'm I'm kind of a fan of uh that's my boy though. Kind of yeah. a fan. See? Uh but yeah, Jeremy, we are covering uh there's a new Wes Anderson movie out. It's been out for a while. It's called mm-hmm. The French Dispatch, so we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a moment. But uh I mentioned the Patreon earlier. Jeremy, why don't you tell the folks what the heck we're doing over there on that Patreon? The Patreon has been a place where Really, the creative artists behind this show get to, um, I guess, uh, let their freak flags fly a little bit. We sh- we should we do the freaky stuff there on the Patreon. Really, it's a chill, uh, welcoming environment where we take a listener on a little odyssey through time and space. Sometimes that take us takes us down uh, Tales from the Crypt Avenue. And we cover episodes of that show. Sometimes it takes us through some of the some of the Adam Sandler projects where he was just in it for a second. And we cover films like The Coneheads or The Animal on Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Truly, it is a free-for-all over there. And that's kind of what makes it special is, you know, you'll never, you'll never be caught off guard necessarily. But um, there is a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that's sort of um, it's sort of run by maniacs. And so, so that sounds like kind of the freak shit you like. I'd, I'd go on over to patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Eric, what do you think of that pitch? Pretty good? I, Solid? I think it's great. Yeah. In summation, if you're a freak, mm. head on over to our Patreon. That's we, right. Welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So, Jeremy, uh, the French Dispatch. Now, uh, if memory serves, the Wes Anderson film before this uh, was mm. uh, was it uh, Planet of Cats? Was that what it was called? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a stupid joke, but it's very good. <laughs> uh, yes, it was called the Planet of Cats, and honestly, that one I I rem- I. I don't know if I was. I would consider it one of my favorites. I definitely liked it both times I watched it, but I would put it like in a lower tier category of Wes Anderson's overall work. Um, so we kind of, I you know, I thought the Grand Budapest was like a perfect film when I saw it last. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one, and then we kind of had a little dip there. So. You know, and I don't want to spoil about how I feel about French Dispatch quite yet, but I will say, you know, it was uh, it was definitely interesting going into this film with that kind of in mind that this is like a return to live action, something that I've wanted for almost ten years. 
Yeah, I kind of with our rewatch, or you know, with our when we went through the Wes Anderson movies, I my thing with Isle of Dogs in retrospect is I kind of wish that he had just that uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox was his only sort of animated venture. Mm-hmm. I felt like I feel I feel like that would be cool. Like in retrospect, looking back at everything that he's done, to just have this one really good <laughs> uh, animated film. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the French Dispatch is a movie that um, you so wait so you saw this one in theaters, did you not? I did. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. It was. Um, I think it was the. I think it was the. F- no, it wasn't the first film I, I went back to the theaters to watch, but it was one of the first ones where I went to go see it at like an AMC, like a big movie theater with a with the public there, a lot of people, and um, it was like opening weekend. I think it might have been the night of. I think it was like opening night. I saw it, so of course it was packed house, which is kind of I think how I prefer to watch all films now like all of like a film that i like if i really want to experience it right and i'm not just like if it's like a, a film by a filmmaker i really love i i think i now prefer to see it in a packed theater because the experience is just so much better in my opinion like communally like that like sure i can watch a film at my house but it's just really like I'm not going to get the the excitement and the giddiness and the joy and the laughter like than I would if I if I you know when you go see a, a a film where the it's just like a you know full house packed audience saw the movie was um was really of course feeling the night um and uh, the audience was too I would say that everybody in that theater no matter how the film stayed with us or what we thought of it like kind of later on, we all kind of left that theater with like a glow about us. You know, one of those, mm. one of those movies you watch where you're like, well, that's why, uh, that's why we make movies folks. That's why we do it right there. You know, one of those, like one of those, like everyone was kind of walked out satisfied, but um, did you not see it in theaters? Were you not able to? I did not. No. I I, Would I, you uh, see it on a VHS? Yeah, I, uh, I I I saw that. I had someone record a cam of it in the theater and then transfer that to VHS. That's cool. Uh, no, actually, Brian, thank you, thank you to Brian. Brian got the Blu-ray and he sent on over the uh, that digital download code. Oh, Brian so for the Brian. win! Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I did watch it. Uh, still on a VHS though. I didn't. I didn't even touch that file. No. 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 No, I watched. I watched it over the weekend. I watched it, uh, you know, as cinema is meant to be watched on my uh, Sony uh, flat screen television while sitting on my couch with my little uh, electronic, uh, uh, you know, neck massager <laughs> going. <laughs> Do you really uh, have one of those? Yeah, it's more of a back massage. It well, it's back and neck, but I'm afraid to use it on my neck because apparently you can. Uh, get a that can cause a stroke so man Man, you're lucky got a back massager what are you the richest man alive well rich enough to afford a 40 dollar back massager (laughs) so i uh i saw so so the french dispatch i'm not gonna lie to you my man i have a uh I, i came away with a different uh 
uh, uh, perception of the film, a different take. Uh, so this will be an interesting conversation. And I, so there's like two parts. Uh, th- so there's like two sides of this for me. Is one, I knew going in that this was going to be basically like Wes Anderson doing a movie that is a magazine, an issue of a magazine inspired by the New Yorker. Mm. That's like I went in knowing what that what, what that was, and I think that he did like the coolest and like the best version of what that could be you know what mm-hmm. i mean like I, th- I think it's really great and I, I i think it's like a super fun and innovative idea on the other hand i like i just like this is just my personal thing is i i i don't like come to movies for like a a, a bunch of mini stories or vignettes like mm-hmm. there's not a film you know i've seen like uh, I don't know for for whatever reason like VHS comes to mind that well I guess because we were just talking about them but that like yeah. horror collection of horror shorts or anytime there's like a selection of short stories that are kind of strung together yeah. it just doesn't do it for me because it's just not I, I there there's there's like a disconnect there where I'm like in my head I'm like oh I'm watching a movie and I'm I really love the the um. I really love just being sucked into a story and, and, and having that last for the whole thing and, and not having to leave that, you know. And right, and uh, I right. think if these were, if these vignettes were all presented in like, to me as like, here's four separate brand new short films from Wes Anderson, I think I would have like responded to that a little bit better. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of like, that was kind of my viewing experience was I was like, it, it, it just, to be honest, it, when there's not when when there's just these different stories happening and and you're kind of like jumping from one thing to the other it kind of loses my attention a little bit mm-hmm. and that's just kind of part of how my brain works and it's it was a little frustrating for me to watch this movie cuz i like kind of had to go back a couple times and be like wait i kind of like tuned out for a second there oh and no wow not because that's that's not, I, I feel know. like that's it's, uncommon it's, right for for especially watching a film like of this sort of caliber, like to have to, to feel that way, you know, to have to kind of go back and be like, Oh man, did I miss something? What's going on? Like that, that's like, cause that's, you're kind of describing like, like a, a pretty distracted, not good experience, which, you know, I, it's just, it's just, um, I, I feel like that's uncommon for Wes Anderson, right? He's usually pretty captivating, if not even a little, probably empty if people want to, you know, classify him as that. I've heard people say that about him, so I'm just kind of, I'm kind of, uh, I'm cruising with what you're putting down. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that kind of, uh, that's unfortunate because I'm, I'm sure you were really yeah, excited. I don't know. I, I maybe it was the mood I was in too, but I felt, I felt kind of bad about it because there's like a lot that I really like about this movie. I mean, you can't argue with the cast, and you know, a, actually, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the like visual gags and like the comedic sensibility of. Grand Budapest that I love so much is in this movie, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of funny, good stuff. Right. Maybe, maybe I would enjoy it more with a rewatch. But um, uh, yeah, that was yeah. kind of my my experiences. I I I don't know, man. Like these kinds of move, like this kind of movie, I, just give me one story. <laughs> That's like <laughs> when you mess with that sort of format for me, it just I don't know. It just doesn't work for my for my brain for some reason. No nah, man, I uh I can I can feel that. I will say that like I don't know if this type of visual like hmm. So Magnolia 
is a movie that is similar, but it's just all the stories are happen to be tied together, and you kind of happen to be dropping them and picking them back up at different times. Um, so I'm I'm kind of thinking about other movies that we've covered kind of like this, or like the original Tales from a from the Crypt movie. Remember that, which is like all those uh, yeah. people stuck yeah. in a basement or whatever, and they're telling stories. I I don't feel one way or the other about like vignettes, like like a, a film being done in a series of vignettes. Uh, but I do, but I do agree with you that it's definitely, it's not going to carry probably the same emotional weight um, as a film where you actually have the the whole two hours to spend with the protagonist or set of protagonists. You know, um, those tend to be. I mean, you look at a movie that we covered last week, like Licorice Pizza, which is a film where by the end of that movie, you're like in love with the protagonists. Like you like lo- like love these people because they're so you know, you've gotten to spend so much time with them and get to know them so much. And you don't really get that in a film like the French dispatch. That being said, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think that this style to me, I don't necessarily just want to like write out right off the style of film. This is completely, but you know, I like, here's what I will say. I think there are four, separate and distinct um uh whatever you want to call them shorts in this and one of them i kind of don't like at all so if you're if you're gonna make a movie like this you kind of run the risk of that happening i think we're like one of them certain people are going to respond to one of them certain people other people are going to respond to but not everyone's going to respond to every one of them the same you know um, cause it's like, you're kind of making four different pieces of art or something. So yeah, I kind of feel that I kind of can, I can feel that sort of, um, whatever you want to call it, like, like, uh, almost like viewership fatigue or, 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 or something. I, I think I obviously liked it better than you did, but, um, I don't, I don't think what you're saying is, is unreasonable or even weird. I do think though that you should probably watch the film next time you see it, you should probably watch it with people. Cause I think like you, like you described it as being like, there's being like, like there's certain like visual gags you really responded to this. I was going to, I was going to make an argument for this being, I think the funniest of Wes Anderson's movies. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Because there are some really, really funny moments. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I was, and I, you know, I had the experience of sitting in, in the theater with an audience who was dying, like cracking up, like loving it. Like, uh, like the audience I saw this with thought Wes Anderson, you would have thought Wes Anderson was Jim Carrey the way they were like <laughs> falling on their falling over their asses, just laughing at, at, at all the little bits. And it really helped. It really helped like fuel the film in a way that made me, um, I think probably engage with it a little bit, a little bit more than you, but, um, let's get into it. Cause I, I, I want to stop talking about the film in like such a macro way. I want to talk about it. Like I want to get into it. Uh, let's see. The film has been described as a love letter to journalists set at an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city, centering on four stories, uh, inspired by Anderson's love of the New Yorker, uh, and some characters and events in the film are based on real-life equivalents from the magazine. Um, when speaking to French publication, uh, 
I'm not even going to try and say that. In April 2019, uh, Anderson said, The story is not easy to explain. It's about an American journalist based in France uh, who creates his magazine. Uh, it is more of a portrait of this man, of the journalist who fights to write what he wants to write. It's not a movie about freedom of the press, but when you talk about reporters, uh, you talk about what's going on in the real world. So that's different than, uh, and that was back in April of 2019. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he did that interview after they filmed it. Can't yeah, remember. well, so that's an interesting thing about this movie I think we should probably get into just a little bit is this marks uh, our second film coverage in a row of um, a film that was uh, dramatically impacted by COVID. Yeah. So this movie was supposed to come out in 2020, um, but did not. So I bet you around April 2019, they were maybe getting close to wrapping filming on it. Mm. Um, yeah. But if you, you know, spot any interview with any of the actors who were in the film, they'll talk about just how strange it was going to Cannes because they, they were done with the film for like two or three years. <laughs> They had yeah. not even thought about it. <laughs> and it's interesting. Usually, you know, a Wes Anderson movie comes out and then you, there's like two or three years until you hear about the next one. Mm-hmm. Now we're already hearing about this Roald Dahl uh, thing that, that, that he's going to work on next. Did you had, Have you seen anything about that? No, I haven't. That's that's incredible. Who, uh, I've, I, some headline I read or something was, uh, it's a, he's, he's u- described it as he's using Marvel talent. So I guess like people... Or in Mar- Marvel like movies Ruffalo or something, and, and it's and it's a raw and it's a rolled doll uh, story. So I don't know. Um, uh, in in August of 2018, it was reported Anderson would write and direct an untitled musical film set in France post World War II. Uh, I, br- I obviously that's not what we got, but I bring that up <laughs> because I'd like to see this guy do a do a musical. Mm. Wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I feel like this film and the Grand Budapest and his animated films obviously share this thing in common where they're kind of all big like a musical is big. They just don't have the music, you know? Right. Uh, Principal photography began in November of 18 uh, in southwestern France, wrapped in March of 2019. Yep, there you go. You were right. All right. Just finished. Uh, Robert Yeoman. Our boy, mm-hmm. who uh, we the know Oster. from. Uh, what did you? He, oh yeah, he did Drugstore Cowboy, right? That was why yeah. Wes, Wes Anderson yeah. wanted to he's work done, with him. He's on incredible, Bottle, Bottle man. Yeah, he's incredible. He's done a ton of cool stuff. Yes, uh, I listened to an interview with him uh, about this film. He was very excited about the uh, the black and white mm. uh, mm-hmm. in this in this film. Black and white see, seems like. It seems ballsy. Like it seems like you have <laughs> to like, like you can do it wrong. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand black and white filmmaking, but I, uh, I love it when it's done well. Uh, it seems like uh, it's it's both ballsy, be, but for a few reasons. I think one because it's so easy to mess up, and one it's so easy to like right off like when you know a film's gonna be black and white the first thing you you your mind pretty much starts doing is going like oh like that's pretentious you know yeah so it's kind of hard to do it in a way that like people i think want to accept 
Um, the Adventures of Tintin and Blake and Mortimer are big inspirations. Never heard of Blake and Mortimer. Uh, and then for the musical score, uh, Anderson teamed up with uh, our old pal Alexandra uh, Desplat. Alexander yeah, Desplat and Randall mm-hmm. Poster, who I guess was the musical supervisor on uh, The Wolf of Wall Street and The Irishman. So he's he's worked with Scorsese. Yeah, Alexander Desplat has been doing uh, Scorsese stuff now for a while. And, you know, the Harry, he also did the Harry Potter movies, a lot of those. He's really great. I would love for him to team back up with uh, our guy from Devo, Mark Mothersbaugh. But, um, you know, I also dig what the Displats putting down. So I don't know. I go back and forth. Do you talk about who wrote the screenplay, by the way, or the story? No. Who? Well, he's got his team back, man. His like team of freaks. It's like him, Schwartzman, Coppola, Roman Coppola, and uh, Hugo Guinness. <laughs> Dude, Schwartz, seeing Schwartzman for some reason in this movie, I guess I d- didn't put it together until now, but like, I haven't seen him in anything in such a long time, and it was like, I was like pumped to see Jason Schwartzman in this. Yeah, man, he's like, cool. Man, you don't see that guy very very often, or or I just don't watch the stuff that he does. Right. I guess. Right. Like, what does he do? Like, what is is he on a show or something that I don't watch? Maybe. And I also think he does a lot of music stuff. And he, you know, he might be a guy. He seems like a really cool guy to me, who might be just like kind of like picking projects very sparingly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what was good was bored to death. That, that, that show is show. great. That show is great. Uh, in casting uh, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Anderson told GQ, I never had the inconvenience of ever thinking of anybody else for this role, even for a second. Hmm. The role was written for him. Yeah, I like almost, I, I, it, 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 it makes sense that he is uh I, I bet you he's going to be like a, a, a regular Anderson. Anderson. Person. Same with uh, Cersei Ronan. Oh, yeah. Cersei Ronan for sure. Like, she yeah. yeah, she's now, what, three films deep or something? But Chalamet, yeah, yeah he might he might stick around with Anderson and be on and, and stuff. Um, I will say, though, I am not a big Chalamet fan, and I think his part, in this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll get to why sort of when we start when we start talking about it, but um this was the only his his section was the only section of the film that I kind of just thought was tough to kind of get through and um I think it's Chalamet's fault. I don't yeah. know what it is. I don't know why. I mean, I don't hate the guy. I think he could be really good someday. But I think right now he's just a little green. And it's tough for him to, like, hang with all these great actors all around him, you know? Yeah, what is, I guess Call Me By Your Name was the one that everyone got him on everyone's radar or something? I think so. I don't know, because he kind of, yeah. like, came out of nowhere for me. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel, but, like, he's just one of those where I'm, like... I think I've just accepted the fact that he's just going to be a name that a person that I see in movies forever now. Sure. And uh, sure. I don't know. I guess I'm maybe just indifferent 
to him. I don't think he's. I think there's some there's some funny moments with his character, but I don't necessarily think that they're funny because they're him. You know what I mean? Right. That's exactly he, right. It's almost like he just kind of like. Mm, I, I he's probably talented, but I, he, it, a lot of it to me is I think he he's got like a certain look that people like i think with the you know in, in this movie he's got the crazy hair and the you know mustache. yeah he's cool he's know. definitely cool looking for sure i think he i think he looks great i think he really looks the part of what anderson was going for especially in that section which is very much like a band apart like a godard film sort of thing and um yeah i just i just think that like he's not he's just not there yet i don't know it's like it's like you took it's like you took a uh brownies out of the oven too fast or something he's just not quite <laughs> ready it, it's just weird it's like he and, and to me it's distracting in a in a way that i like when i'm watching him act with francis mcdormand who's like a multiple academy award-winning actress who's incredible yeah it, i'm just sort of like ugh. it is it, it just it, it really it was weird because it, it it left a bad taste in my mouth and i personally didn't have an opinion about the guy before I saw this movie. So anyway, not, not I mean, people love him. It, it doesn't matter what I think, truly. I just it's just one of those things where I was when I was watching his section, I'm just kinda like, Ugh, you know, like like I don't know. I I I could almost do with any other actor of his age in there. Just try him out. Tom Holland, is he better? Is he gonna work out? You know, who else? Yeah. Who else we got, you know? Um, uh, let's see here. Anderson's ninth collaboration with Bill Murray, uh, eighth with uh, Owen Wilson, and seventh with Schwartzman. Wow, damn. I guess this is his tenth movie, then, huh? That sounds about right. Yeah, because I think he's, I think he's worked with Bill Murray on every movie besides Bottle Rocket. So I guess this is another one of those where they all like lived in a house in France while they were filming. Yeah, that sounds right. Which I think is, <laughs> I always like hearing about that in uh, yeah, Wes Anderson movies. I wonder if he stays, I got to imagine he stays in the house with the cast. Or maybe yeah, he, oh yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that's what it is. I think I think it's like they, it's a big house or like a big hotel and everyone has their own rooms and they get up and they kind of like have breakfast together and they eat their meals together. And I think it just like creates this like communal experience that Anderson in particular really prefers. And I think Bill Murray obviously really likes it. And yeah. Uh, let's see. Yes, it is the 10th feature. Uh, I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of like crazy, uh, no. you know, trivia. Unless you have anything you want to bring up. Not uh, really. Mainly, I just want to get into this uh, plot because, you know, you're usually you're the one stuck know, with the extremely dude. long. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this and <laughs> I just cringed. That's well, a lot for. I mean, yes, you're gonna be reading it all, but I gotta listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, yeah, and we, you know, and we'll, we'll definitely want to like. I, I care less about the Wikipedia than um, the just talking to you about the film. So, if for this one, if you want to not read and just we can just go section by section since it's all laid out here, almost in like bulletins. 
I'm cool with that too. Well, let me see if I can read and just like skip around a little bit because it does help me to recall the uh, you know some, the events sort of the events of the film and stuff. Yeah. Um. So fictional French town of blank. I'm not going to pronounce the name. On we se blase. Oh, not bad. Uh, Arthur How. <laughs> Howitzer Jr., the editor of the newspaper, the French Dispatch, dies suddenly of a heart attack. According to the wishes expressed in his will, uh, publication of the newspaper is immediately suspended following one final farewell issue in which four articles are published along with an obituary. Yes. Um, So right away, I think the first visual you see is like the uh, plate being prepared. Do you know what I'm talking mm. about? It's like a, a tray of drinks and food being prepared. And it's like, there's like an image, right, of a of a tray and like a person spinning it around. It's like a circular tray. They're like spinning it all around, showing you like every little part of the routine. And like, like they dump that oyster in a glass. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then it's like the guy has to carry the tray all the way up those complicated corridors and stairways involving like a ladder at one point up into like... Yes, this is cool. I like yeah, this. Yeah. It's... it's um. I remember being pretty visually stunned right away, which is the second... Like, seriously, the, the, the it's French Dispatch and Licorice Pizza don't have a ton in common, but I'm going to end... I'm like, this is one thing they do have in common. Just like opening scenes that just kind of blow you away right away and and sort of get you like buckle you into like a visual language that you're gonna have to reckon with the entire movie like like i i want to say that the french dispatch it, it's the most <laughs> like wes anderson-y of all of his movies like and it is so right away like they waste no yeah. time getting into the the fantasy of it all Right, I, I'm. I've got it sort of playing and uh, with the sound off, and uh, I've got it playing with the sound full blast. I can't hear anything <laughs> you just said, and uh, but they do. Yeah, in the beginning, we get just like a bunch of really good Wes Anderson shots because he's they're introducing all these different characters, you know, and we and uh, there's all these different the, these little jokes and little shots, and uh, it's a lot right away. It's great. I mean, I I, I won't. I, yeah. I I, de- I definitely agree with you that it's very it looks very good, uh, and I kind of wish I had seen it on the big screen. But yeah, I mean, there's some like funny stuff right off the bat, like the guy uh, they introduced that guy who's like never published a story before. Oh yeah, so Wally like Walidarski. They used to write for <laughs> yeah. The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like, I love like when the waiter's carrying the tray at one point, he just takes a drink from the tray and mm-hmm. drinks it like as if he had poured that shot for him, like on his halfway <laughs> mark of this travel. Um, yeah. yeah I also like, is, is there like, I think there's narration right off the top, right? That kind yeah. of explains who everybody is and you, and you don't get to see anybody yet. Like you just see like their feet or from them from behind or kind of explains like who the different writers are and oh and it talks and it shows uh this where we meet schwartzman character for the first time and i think one of the only two times we see schwartzman is like once the beginning and then once at the very end but he's the cartoonist right (laughs) yes and he's drawing he's like tracing his hand (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i said i wanted a turkey not a yes he's the right off the bat bill murray's just screaming at him (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. You so know what? Our, I don't so know, man. I gotta. I think I have to work you watch this because I like looking just just through these these first five minutes, kind of scanning through them. There's some really funny stuff in here, and it does look really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like the 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 no crying bit, you know, yeah. and Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, crying. He <laughs> there, fires a, a kid like stuff. right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um. Yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, oh, what was I gonna say? Like the um. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny too, right right off the top. And uh, I guess we should say like who everybody is. Like Arthur Howitzer Jr. is Bill Murray's character. He's the editor of the paper. We have a, a handful of um, writers who, well, I guess we'll introduce and get to each when we read their perspective stories. But kind of the bit here is that Bill Murray is. We're starting to learn about Bill Murray and how he and the French Dispatch are kind of tied together, sort of one and the same. And I guess mm-hmm. the point you're kind of getting here is that, like, as an editor, the film sort of worships an, the editor, right? It, like, sort of, like, paints him in this picture of, like, he's, like, the dad, the father figure, the the protector of all these, you know, pretty, like, out there creative minds. And... um and they and they kind of paint Bill Murray as this sort of like altruistic, like he will, you know, an editor is supposed to cut down your work, right? And the whole movie, he spends it like basically trying to convince the writers to keep in parts they want to cut out. So it's like, so it's like he's not even, you know, he's just such a fan of writing and such a champion for writing. And you gotta, I don't know, I always got the feeling that this character that Bill Murray is playing is kind of like Wes Anderson is right. Like right away you're like, Oh, Wes Anderson is the one who actually worships these writers. He's the one who worships the New Yorker. He's the one who, who yeah. it finds this stuff invaluable when the rest of the world has kind of left it behind. You know, like we don't, nobody cares about the New Yorker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, so then we get our old buddy, Owen, Oh, this is so great. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah. uh, uh, Herb Sand Sazerac delivers a cycling tour of the town, (laughs) uh, demonstrating several key areas, such as the arcade, uh, a cafe, a pickpocket's alley. He compares the past and the present of each place, demonstrating how much and yet how little has changed over time. Yeah. So um, remind me, I don't know if you have the subtitles up, but... The first line he says, I remember it gave me chills for his story. I think he says, like, I think the first line is like, hey, Jack, can you please? Thanks. <laughs> so, sorry, I heard that's dinging going off in the background. It was text messages, I think. Oh. Um, uh, the, uh, yeah, but it's like, uh, I think it's like ennui wakes suddenly. Is that the line? Hold on. I th- I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Maybe not. Dog barks was that it? Parentheses. Dog barks. <laughs> no, it's like I think it's I think it's on. We wake suddenly, and then boom! It's like you see water come out of that little faucet thing or that little drainage thing, and then it's like a ton of uh, everyone just starts going to going to work and like going to their different perspective places. You know what I'm talking about? It's like he's like on. We wake suddenly, and then all of a sudden, boom! An explosion. Everyone wakes up and starts like going about their business, and it's like the beginning of his little short. Yes. Yeah. I can't find the exact line, but yes. No, it's all right. It, but uh, but yeah, this this part's great. And it's really funny too. And, and you keep getting like callbacks to those ki- those like kids that are like super rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is good. Um, yeah, I love the uh, like he's on his bike the whole time, and then he like falls down the down like whatever it is the subway <laughs> rails or subway stairs. Yeah, and at one point he fall like the bike goes behind a wall, and then it comes. And then when it comes out the other side, Owen Wilson isn't riding yeah. it. It's just it, riding by itself. Yeah, the bike's just going <laughs> super fast. And at one point, he has this really insane line where he's it's at a bus stop for where old people get on a bus. And he's like, this is, this is a bus for old people. And then he has this long pause and he just says, who are failures? <laughs> 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 and it is so funny. Like, that line got a huge response in the theater. But yeah. Good stuff overall, and it's very short too. It's one. It's actually a, a highlight of the movie, I think, and it's very short. So now we are getting to what's it called? The concrete masterpiece. Uh, J.K.L. Berenson delivers a lecture at the art gallery of her former employer, uh, in which she details the career of Moses Rosenthaler. Uh, Rosenthaler, a mentally disturbed artist serving a sentence in uh, prison for murder, paints an abstract nude portrait of Simone, a prison officer with whom he develops a burgeoning relationship. Uh, Julian Cadazio, an art uh, dealer also (laughs) serving a sentence for tax evasion, is immediately taken by the painting and buys it despite Rosenthaler's protests. Upon his release, Cadazio convinces his family of art exhibitors to put on display uh to put it on display and rosenthaler soon becomes a sensation in the art world privately he struggles with inspiration and devotes himself to a long-term project Mm -hmm. uh so yeah what do you think of uh is this one all black and white it is all black and white it is all black and white yeah pretty much the whole thing yeah it's uh this is i think this to me wins the silver medal for the second best of all of the of all the pieces for me it's my my second favorite i think it's um so like we should maybe so jkl berenson is played by tilda swinton who is mm-hmm. giving a lecture and it's in it, she's an incredibly insane character and you kind uh, anyone who's been to college i think understands this this sort sort of like scenario right away it feels like a lecture at like a college like a very stuffy yeah. you know collegiate sort of event where a, this woman is explaining the situation and trying to do so um in a uh in an, in an objective way although she also lived it so it's almost impossible for her to do it objectively because she was very impacted by the events <laughs> that happened and uh then yeah you have um uh moses rosenthaler who's played by um uh what's his name benicio, benicio. Del benicio and man i don't know how you felt about benicio but he was incredible like in my yeah, opinion he's really he's really good in this yeah and they used the kid from the grand budapest to play his younger self i was really i was really pleased to see that to yeah. see him and it's funny too like when when it shows him in the bar about to kill all those guys <laughs> and then you yeah. just see his as crazy eyes oh it's so good and um and then yeah there's this 
there's this long there's this line in the prison again i i'm gonna pick out lines that i just really like but it's it's when moses is kind of older and he's been he's you know benicio and he like goes in front of the art class and he says like I, i'm gonna take this class because i i'm hoping it's gonna work because if it doesn't i think it's gonna be a suicide <laughs> 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 it's just like it, very dark but i don't know man very funny and then um yeah julian cadazio is played by um what's his name the uh the piano guy adrian, uh, adrian brody. brody yeah who again just does such a good job in in this uh in this universe, you know. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah. I like there, these two. This this might be my favorite one. Mm-hmm. I could see that. It, I think yeah. I think I go back and forth on which one's my favorite, but this one is could definitely be the best as well. Um, three years later, Cadazio, his uncles, uh, Clampet, Berenson, and a mob of artists inspired by. Rosenthaler, all frustrated at the lack of further paintings, bribe their way into the prison to confront him, only to discover that his masterpiece is, in fact, a series of fre- uh, frescoes in the concrete prison hall. <laughs> Angered that the paintings are irremovable from the prison, Cadazio gets into a physical altercation with Rosenthal, but soon comes to appreciate the paintings for what they are and later mm-hmm. arranges for the entire room to be airlifted out of the prison <laughs> into a private museum in Kansas owned by Clampett uh, for his actions in halting a prison riot that breaks out during the reveal of the paintings. Uh, Rosenthaler is released on probation. Simone and Rosenthaler maintain correspondence following his release. And I think Simone is played by, I don't recognize her, Le- Leah Sedu. I wonder right. if she's a French yeah, she was in. Yeah, she's in. I, I I remember looking this up because I thought she was incredible in this. Um, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, but that's not Spectre. It. That's th- yeah. The Lobster. Yeah, Lobster for sure. I think she's in another Wes Anderson movie now. Maybe not. Anyway, um, yeah, this is really great. It is uh, so if I had to kind of like nail down exactly what this short is about i mean what would you say art <laughs> yeah right obviously yeah. yeah um but specifically i think like it's commenting on on um how dangerous art can be like yeah there's this undercurrent of like it's almost like he's trying to say you know that art almost like used to be more like this and now it's not so much kind of a thing. Like it seemed like a little bit of a comment on like, you know, we appreciate all these pieces in museums, but you know, the stories behind them sometimes are brutal and uh, horrible and they come from, you know, people, Murderers (laughs) murderers <laughs> and yeah. and thieves and stuff and um and yeah it's sort of just about like more than just art maybe to me i think it's about like just the the overall imp- appreciation of art by people who don't live the life of an artist you know like benicio is like a criminal and a murderer and he's this beautiful artist and he ends and his work ends up with that old white lady in kansas you know yeah <laughs> so i don't know um 
I remember kind of thinking that this this felt like a little bit of a comment on how safe we we try to we try to make art, even though it's usually coming from a very tortured place. That reminds me, you got to check out this. I, I started listening to this new musician. Uh, his name's Charles Manson. I think you're going to mm, dig his mm-hmm. stuff, man. Yeah, I might. Uh, what kind of stuff does he play? <laughs> oh, just like really good singing and guitar <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, revisions to a manifesto. So this is uh, your favorite one vignette, Jeremy. This is uh, Lucinda Kremens reports on a student protest breaking out in the streets uh, that soon boils over into the chessboard revolution while the revolution initially is inspired by petty concerns over access to the girls' dormitory, the traumatic military uh, conscription of one student, Mitch Mitch, inspires greater (laughs) uprising. I do like the setup of this one. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with you. This is probably my least favorite as well. But uh, yeah, it's hard to not like something that Frances McDormand's in. She's just so electric on screen. Really excited to see that Macbeth movie. By the way, it's like oh, there's a Macbeth my... movie coming out. Yeah, well, no, it's out. It's in theaters. It's Joel Cohen oh. from the Cohen Brothers. He made it with Denzel Washington as as Macbeth and. Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth. Dude, you should see a trailer for it because it looks insane. All right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's hard to not like something she's in. Um, and also aesthetically, this really, I really love the way this whole part of it, the movie looks because it, it to me, it looks like those old French New Wave movies. It looks like, you know, something Truffaut or Godard or Varda or Melville or all these other, you know, all these great French filmmakers yes from the- it looks it looks very master of none season two you're right oh <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a callback to something the listener did not get to hear <laughs> us talk about off mic um yeah i don't know i uh have you are you eric have you watched like dived into any of that old french stuff before no i've it's one of those things where i've always been meaning to and i just i just haven't yeah yeah it's- one of these days yeah, one of these days, and then you can, and then you'll kind of like maybe return to this film one day and go like, "Oh yeah, that did look like those other movies." <laughs> um, but yeah, I and I and I I also like I like like you said that the setup for the like the conflict in this of uh, it being like kids' revolution or something, um, or like youth in revolt, like youth against the adults kind of a thing is. Mm-hmm. It, it it's like it's like badass kinda I think, um, yeah. So uh, despite her insistence on uh, maintaining journalistic neutrality, Kremens has a brief romantic uh, romance uh, with Zeffirelli, a self-styled leader of the revolt, and secretly helps him write his manifesto and adds an appendix. Uh, Juliet. <laughs> Uh, a fellow revolutionary is unimpressed with his manifesto after they briefly express their disagreement about its contents. Kremens tells the two to go make love, which they do. I like this. Whoever plays Juliet, I think is really good. She's awesome. Yeah. She's really fun. Um, And I like, there's something I like about, so just, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a monster. Chalamet's performance in this is like, 
he's playing like a little kid, which is, and he, and he actually does pull it off. You know what I mean? Like he, he, there are parts of his, this, this whole thing where he looks like, um, uh, he, he's behaving like a, the child that he, he is in this, you know? Um, there's something, one of my, one of the funniest moments for me is cause it's just like one of those things that like is just completely relatable and it's done in such a realistic way. But, uh, I've just never seen it done in film before is when he has to like get out. He like gets out of the bath to like hand yeah. her. That's so funny. And he, yeah. he just like, we all know that we we've all experienced that thing of like having to get out of the shower quickly or whatever. And you're just <laughs> dripping wet. Yeah. It's <laughs> trying to like cover yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's and, and I, and I do like the idea that them like kind of sleeping together or that, like his manifesto is sort of inspired by something Kremens wrote. Um, and I do like that Juliet doesn't like it because part of what I don't like about this story is that it seems like I'm not quite sure what it's saying, what it's trying to say about like youth and culture. And, um, and it almost is like, like, look, I mean, maybe I'm reading too far into this, but this to me like felt like a little bit of a pro authoritarian, like pro cop, anti cancel culture type thing. Like there's like literal lines that Francis McDormand says to the to you know the kids that are like, oh you know they're a little right and you're a little right and you know like we should just it's like a very centrist view of you know, very yeah. real social issues and, um, and like the way things have always been. And, um, and like, I think Lucinda, like, oh, and she also has this other line that she's like, you know, you need to learn how to accept an apology is basically like her point of view, which is like sort of what people who are anti-cancel culture really like pro- are proponents of is like, is like, they would say that the problem with cancel culture is like not, you know, people don't know how to accept an apology or like take an apology. Like we, you know what I mean? Like there was, there's like a lot of that baked in here. And I, and look again, maybe that's not everyone's read of it, but definitely I couldn't, there's just like a lot of visuals of like cops and protesters in this. And it reminded me of 2020. It reminded me of like what we all kind of went through with like the BLM Mm -hmm. protests and, and stuff. And to take a very centrist view, and even though it's not, they're, they're two different protests about two different issues. One of them's made up in this movie, and one of them is real life. It, it was it was a kind of a hard pill to swallow to to hear. No, 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 everyone's right. No, 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 they both they, they need each other. The protesters need the cops just as much as the cops need the protesters. Like that that whole mantra is like, I don't know. I bounced off of it pretty hard. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't really know what to make of it, but mm. I don't love it. I love the um, way it ends, though. Yes. A few weeks later, uh, Zeffirelli is killed attempting repairs on the tower of a revolutionary pirate radio station, and soon a photograph of his likeness becomes symbolic of the movement. Uh, five years later, Kremens translates Mitch Mitch Simka's theatrical dramatization of his con- uh, con- conscription and Zeffirelli's death for a National Playhouse production of his play at the downstairs No Block Theater. <laughs> yeah. 
Overall, so, uh, you know, not like, look, overall pretty cool. You know, I know I said I didn't like it at all, but, you know, I, that's not true. I like parts of it, I guess. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about the last one or what? Let's do it. Yeah, this this to me is my gold medal. This to me is my my favorite one. I think it's your. This is my gold member. Yeah, this is my gold gold member. Gold. By the way, dude, watched uh, Austin Powers one recently. Oh, it rocks. Ten out of ten. Yeah, so it rocks. Good. Yeah, what are I, we gonna like, do for real, dude? Like Doctor Evil is so funny. Yeah, like maybe the funniest character of all time. Mm-hmm. I I could yeah Scott. Yeah. It's so funny. Scott is great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. During a television interview, Roebuck Wright uh, recounts the story of his attending a private dinner uh, with the commissary of the Inu police force. Uh, Ennui. Ennui police force uh, prepared by legendary police officer Chef L.T. Nescafier. Mm. Uh, he is a famous uh, specialist in a kind of haute cuisine, uh, spe- specifically designed to be eaten by working police officers. The dinner is disrupted uh, when the commis- commissary's son, Gigi, is kidnapped and held for ransom by criminals led by a failed musician labeled the chauffeur. <laughs> so this is the most celebrity-packed part of the whole movie and it's just like so many celebs show up in this final what third act or whatever of, of the film and it's all um it's all sort of headed up by roebuck wright or jeffrey wright who's the actor who i think this is the best performance of the year honestly he's really good in any yeah. movie i i couldn't believe it jeffrey wright is not only so good at being in a Wes Anderson movie. I think he out also outclasses a lot of what else is going on in this movie. Just his his reading of this character alone is perfect for what this movie needs to be, which is like very fast, but you understand everything he's saying, New Yorker style, whatever you want to call it, like jargon. It is so yeah. complex and weird. And he has to say such a mouthful of dialogue while walking through this entire labyrinth of a police station, it is so impressive to me. And his story is so beautiful and his whole background is so beautiful. And yeah, it is just, it, to me, this was like a masterclass in just like how to tell a story period. So we should all, yeah. So the television interview is um, the host is Lee Schreiber. <laughs> who's like, <laughs> who's, uh, you know, it's like a '70s style interview show, like a panel interview show, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just I don't know. What's your what do you think of what do you think of like this? What do you think of this section? It's good. It's it it warrants being like the last one. Uh, I don't know. It was also like the problem with it being the last one, though, for me was like you know, kind of going back to what I said before we started talking about the film is I was kind of like, all right, well, here's another one sort of a thing. Right. Yeah. Although by the end, this one definitely felt like the climax of the movie because it it gets crazy. But like, I, I almost, 
I like I like the craziness, but I I also liked it so much before it gets crazy. Like um before the kidnapping happens, there's this shot of them eating cuz there's this mm-hmm. uh what is it's like a it's like a cook um this like world famous chef prepares them um this uh this meal and for just a second like everything goes into color right and and the yep. camera like spins around the table and just just showing them eating this delicious food and it's like i don't know it just it, every part of this thing is just really i don't know really mad really impressed me anyway it's wild how like seamlessly he can Wes Anderson and Robert Yeoman are able to uh, go from color to black and white, mm-hmm. or aspect and how, just how perfectly it. Way. Yeah, and aspect ratio, like, yeah, how many different formats they're playing with, but it all it all fits together really well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh, the kidnappers uh, represent the warring criminal syndicates uh, and of eh eh eh. <laughs> Ennui, Ennui Sir Blase, and demand the release of an underworld uh, accountant, uh, Albert, nicknamed the Abacus, who possesses their shared financial records. The Abacus is being held in a solitary confinement cell at police headquarters. He's played right. by uh, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The rat. Uh, Wright recollects his own imprisonment in the same cell for his homosexuality for which he was bailed out by Howitzer and offered a job at the dispatch. I like this. I like that. That the, I like that scene when Bill Murray bails him out, by the way. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting, right? It's It's kind of, it's cool. And like the, the way that he gets into the story is like they go, they cut back to the television station and then like, he has that great monologue where everything just goes quiet and the spotlight just goes on him and the camera pushes in really slowly towards him. And yeah, if you don't get chills during a scene like that, man, I don't know. You may not be human because it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. Also, uh, uh, the kidnapper himself is Edward Norton. I don't think we've mentioned that yet, Uh (laughs) but the, uh, the chauffeur, I suppose, um, is, uh, is a little Edward, Ed Norton playing, a. Bit of a scoundrel in this one. Bit of a rapscallion. Mm-hmm. Uh, following a shootout at the kidnapper's hideout, Gigi manages to sneak out a message in Morse code to send the cook. <laughs> Lieutenant Ness Nescafier is uh, sent into the kidnapper's hideout, ostensibly to provide both them and Gigi with food, but secretly the food is laced with poison. <laughs> the criminals also come to the poison and Nescafier uh, just barely survives uh, due to his strong stomach after being made to test it first. But the uh, chauffeur escapes with Gigi and leads the police on a chase. Gigi manages to escape out of the scent roof and reunites with his father. During his recovery, uh, Nescafier saves the abacus from starving to death by preparing him an omelet, the prisoner having been totally forgotten in the commotion. Uh, back at the dispatch o- office, Howitzer tells Wright to reinsert a deleted segment 
In it, a recovering Nescafier tells Wright that the taste of the poison was unlike anything he had ever eaten before, before they commiserate over the state of being uh, foreigners in France. Howitzer Mm -hmm. and Wright disagree on whether this conversation is the heart of the piece. Yeah, which it's funny because it so obviously is, right? The heart of the piece. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the idea of being foreigners over in France and, like, bonding on that, like, it's just such an interesting thing because I believe um, Nescafier is, what, Japanese? He's, like, a Japanese cook. And then, you know, obviously, Roebuck Wright is a, you know, black American and, and gay. It's just, like, I don't know, man. I just thought the way that this wraps up, too, is just, like, the total heart and soul of the movie a little bit flows in this conversation, you know, of just like, because if you, you know, all of the characters in this are expats from America in in some kind of way. Right. Aren't they all there? None of them are French. I think they're all like, uh, they're all Americans, um, uh, writing to America about this, this land. And it's like, I don't know. It's just the vibe of it is just so, you know, it, it really puts into perspective, I think, a lot of how we feel about borders in general and, like, how we feel about other countries and cultures and and uh, just also the fear, the inherent fear that comes with not being from the place that you're currently in, you know? Right. Uh, and then we get the old obituary in an epilogue. The French dispatch staff mourn Howitzer's death death but set to work putting together a final issue to honor his memory the and there's and is, is there some stuff in the credits that i missed uh a lot of cool uh new yorker styled uh i'm sorry inspired art and um okay. and then like yeah just like the whole like i the thing that made me kind of tear up or get emotional was the um, immediate credits which was like you know it's just like Wes Anderson at the very end of this movie, he cuts to like a cool looking shot of like a cartoon and he just lists like a ton of names and Mm -hmm. they're all New Yorker writers from years past. James Baldwin and Tennessee Williams and like all these great, these great names. And then he just says like this movie is dedicated to them and it kind of puts the whole, a nice little bow on the whole project, you know, for me anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I should have... Uh... Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch this one, my dude. I think I. Uh, I think, I think this, is a, this is a two-timer for me. It's yeah, a it's a, definitely for a two-timer me. for me as well, just because it's like there's so much in it, you know, that you could so oh, easily yeah. miss. So, Jeremy, give me, your, give me a Chucky Freckle rating. I'm going to give this one a, uh, I'm going to give it like a 3.25. I think it, I think it deserves to be a little over a three, but at the same time, you know, it's, isn't like, it isn't like, doesn't ever get to the heights of what I feel like Wes Anderson has gotten to in the past. Um, although I, although it visually might be the strongest of his films, we all know visuals are not everything. And in fact, if your visuals are not paired with like, I don't know, a great story or, a you know, whatever it, it, it could, it could, it doesn't matter. And I think for me, this is all about visuals. Um, 
and the stories really do come second, even though some of them are great, some of them are not so great, and some of them are just not even stories. They're just Owen Wilson talking into the camera. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 3.25 for me. Um, would love to watch it again. Uh, f- hoping to really en- enjoy that second story a lot more, the, the, the Chalamet story. Hoping that that one rubs rubs off on me in a better way next time. But, yeah. Uh, what about you, good sir? You ever do that thing where you like you yawn, but but your neck like locks up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like you yawn, but you're like, yeah, that just happened to me. So I'm working Damn. through it. Hold on a second. There we go. I was not yawning because I was bored, Jeremy. I was yawning because I'm I'm, I'm tired. Um, the French Dispatch is a movie that I. Uh, I mean, I, I got to watch this one again. I really do have to watch this movie again. And, and talking with you about, about the film uh, has, has kind of made me uh, appreciate it a little bit more. I will say this. I, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think Wes Anderson like set out to do this thing of, you know, create a movie that, that is, that captures a, you know, a New Yorker style magazine and he does it in this creative way with these different vignettes and it all kind of ties together. And I think he did uh, an exceptional job at, at doing that. Um, I think, I think most of the problems or, you know, the reason that I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I would have enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed like a grand Budapest or a bottle rocket or Tenenbaums is I just like that, you know, singular story, film story structure i don't know i i I, this just this this kind of uh series of vignettes just doesn't work for me quite as well but i don't want that to like uh taint my review so i i think that this movie um i think i'll give this a three out of four (laughs) which i think is which i think is fine i think it's fine because yeah i don't know i mean i do i i actually do think that that second story isn't all that that great, and it's a pretty decent chunk of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> like it might be the longest or the second longest. He definitely believes in it the most, which is, I think, unfortunate because it's. Or no, the th- I guess it would be the third story because we get the the uh, the. That's right. The bicycle. Yeah. yeah, the bicycle and the painting. And painting. Yeah. And, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Three out of four. Maybe I'll change it. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a great score. But yeah, so that was the French Dispatch. Uh, next week, Jeremy, we are going to go back to uh, discussing Scorsese and the next film uh, that we're going to be watching. I don't Age know if I'm going to... Age of Innocence. Yeah, I'm excited to know if I'm going to... I don't like these kinds of period pieces that often. Yeah. But Daniel Day-Lewis, I Winona know. Ryder, I, I mean... Know. I wonder if he's going to do any of his Bill the Butcher stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I say I don't like these period pieces from this time, but uh, I was kind of like dreading watching Barry Lyndon, and then I Barry Lyndon's now like one of my favorites. So right, right, and when it's done well, it's done well. You know, Phantom Threads also very good. It's about the same time as Age of Innocence, I think. Yeah. So anyway, Jeremy, uh, don't forget to wear your powdered wig next mm, week you better believe episode. it 
And listener, don't forget to uh, wear your powdered earbuds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sign up for that Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. It's a, it's a good time over there. Five bucks a month, you get access to all of our previously released bonus content. Jeremy, any extra plugs you want to sneak in here? No way. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Thank you.